Created in 1987, Konami's Metal Gear series not only developed a new genre of video game with its incorporation of tactics and espionage, it arguably transcended the entire video game category in its later iterations into the art, film, and soap opera genres. Touching upon the human themes of duty, honor, and loyalty with the subjects of war, shadow governments, and technology, the series arguably captures more heavy political content in a single game than many academic scholars do in a lifetime. With the departure of creator Hideo Kojima, in the vein of Big Boss, who said, the best soldiers are useless without a war to fight, perhaps the best franchises are useless without their original founders, whose creative vision is indelibly linked to the original art. I did not trade arms for hostages. Hello, and uh, welcome to the Myth of the 20th uh, Century. I am uh, Hank Oslo, and uh, we have a very special guest here, uh, Borzoi. How's it going? Hank, do you think love can bloom even on the battlefield? Only I, I, don't, I don't understand this. Uh, I don't understand this reference. <laughs> well, in case you guys okay, were... We also have Adam, Adam and Hans here, where we get, uh, get ahead of ourselves. Nick yeah. might join us later. Um, Adam, Hans, Metal Gear... <laughs> well, I was always confused why they they emphasized the gear. I I was like, all right, obviously it's made of metal, but I mean, I guess because it moves, it has gears. It just it is a funny name, but yeah, the, the funny thing about the series is it's absolutely brilliant, as we were just mentioning before we started. And uh, there's a lot of quirks to this this brilliant genius uh, uh, Kojima inspired series that. Um, I guess it's done, but they keep they they keep surprising me with more uh, well sequels that actually are good. They're not bad, and the longevity of it has been very impressive as well. In addition to just the quality of each individual contribution, the spirit of it is probably done because Kojima is no longer with uh, Konami. In fact, they've right. already released another Metal Gear game that uh, did not have his involvement in it, which did not do well in terms of reviews. I haven't played it myself, but it's uh, because. You cannot separate. You really just can't separate Metal Gear from Kojima. It's like, in fact, this has happened before. There was a, there was an, uh, an additional Metal Gear game that was made. That was, uh, this was back in the '80s when, after the first Metal Gear game was made, uh, and it was like the developers who worked on it were so disappointed by it that uh, one of them, when they were on the train or bus. Uh, they happened to see Kojima on the bus, and they were telling about it. It's like, they, you know, we really want you back. Like, and he came back to go do the, the second game, which became Metal Gear Two. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason why it might be called Metal Gear is I couldn't find anything on that. 
the Japanese always have kind of like a weird relationship with like with what sounds like cool words to them, like Metal Gear, like that sounds yeah. like that, you know. But also the origin of the game wasn't even in stealth. That the stealth became a thing because of the limitations of the hardware at the time. They couldn't do a shooter game, so it became a stealth game because right. Of the uh, of the of the restrictions they, they had, right? They so had the, the, the let, let's just back up for a second. So Hank hasn't played this, for example, and maybe somebody else hasn't. Why are we nerding out at, at the That's granular not level? That's true. Already, I remember but... there was there was like a first mission demo that was included on some like sampler pack thing that came mm-hmm. with the PlayStation. Um, which well, I believe see, that's, is like the first that's already far in the future. That's though. Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, and and to be honest, that was my first introduction to it, and I was like, oh, "This is a genius, uh, you know, game." I, I, who created this? But the original uh, game that came out, I guess, was just called Metal Gear, and it was on Nintendo, the the first one, I believe. And well, th- it was it came in or the, the Japanese States, version of it in the yeah. in the United States. It came out on Nintendo, but that was a port. In fact, it, w- it wasn't even a complete like full port uh correct port of the game the originally came out in a system that was exclusive to the see, like this is why he wanted me to have it so, yeah it was no it's called no because the famicom's just the japanese version of nintendo it was right. a system called the m the msx oh, it was a completely different system that we never got like that's the funny thing about when you look into like, the japanese history of video games they had con- consoles we never even got right yeah well <laughs> they got them now because of ebay and all the craziness over here about these uh these games i mean there's something about japan that just makes them good at the sci-fi genre which is like i think the in the, in the fantasy worlds and rpg type stuff their their creativity unlike a lot of uh the accusations level at other asian cultures i think is unchallenged in this department and it's very unique i think to the japanese to have this type of stuff the koreans they have some good movies Chinese, I don't know what they make. Good food, I guess. But the, the <laughs> Japanese, they, they've they've got the aesthetic gene. They're just good at this, and there's just something better about their. Uh, this is why I brought it up because I. So you're talking about limitations on the original Metal Gear, the fact that they couldn't have maybe like a million bullets flying at once. Although they did do Contra on Nintendo, if you remember that game, which was kind of like a more action-oriented yeah. shooting game. So I don't really know what the limitations exactly were they were dealing with. But the, the whole basis of what kind of made Metal Gear unique was that you're kind of a espionage uh, soldier uh, on on your alone. You're kind of Rambo, but you're not Rambo because you're not guns blazing. You're basically trying to sneak around. And it's it's kind of like a ninja, if you think about it, whereby you're sort of an assassin, sort of a spy, but you really are screwing up if you're giving your position away to the enemy because you're basically faced with overwhelming force and they'll just clobber you if you, if you do that. And that, to me, uh, was very creative, if nothing else, because most games don't bother with the kind of um, think-before-you-act behavior in that type of game and so that was yeah. one original thing about it and the other thing that i've so always loved is just the not only is, is the storyline amazing which and, and it's kind of ridiculously complicated if you really want to get into it but the just the visual style is i think one of the best i've ever seen because if you just look at the the old gaming systems you're dealing in eight bit graphics and the shading is really crummy and, but still you look at the design work they did on this like tank that's like rolling down the screen 
and it looks good for some magical reasons the japanese know how to do this and then if you look at an american equivalent of that like you've got excite bike on a atari and like just a bunch of blocks like floating around on the screen we just i don't know why i don't know why we can't do it i mean we make good movies but uh they figured out how to do this stuff on the uh, the video game format and i think this is a, a really good example of how how well done that stuff is um in such a constrained format and then of course they went into the playstation and then the playstation 2 3 4 whatever their version out there now and now it's all fully three three-dimensional but it still looks good and it's very unique uh, uniquely Japanese, and I remember Nick, in honor of Nick, who can't join us tonight, um, he, he said once when we were kind of mentioning the uh, Metal Gear series in another episode on mercenaries uh, that the Japanese have a more impressive view of Americans, American soldiers and military in particular, than we even Americans do. I mean, we can't even make our own military look as cool as the way they do in Japan. And so that was the other funny thing about this series. Yeah, it was actually very fortuitous that because like this, this the series wasn't originally Kojima's baby. Like I mentioned before, like uh, between the the first and what became the original, the the unofficial sequel, he wasn't involved in. That's uh, he. They had to bring him back for the actual sequel to the original game. But he wasn't even the he wasn't even the brainchild behind the original game to begin with. He was brought on. Uh, to take, he was brought on to take over the project from a senior associate, and that was when he was looking at this. And he was discovering that there was a major hardware, there was a major hardware limitation with the MSX, where the bullets, like you could just could not have that many bullets on the screen. So he reworked it so that it would be the stealth espionage game. But like it also happened to be like Kojima is basically a major Westaboo, and he, he's a bit of a of a gu- of a gun aficionado, and especially he. It's, becomes pretty obvious as the series goes on he really wants to direct a hollywood movie like he puts so much of that into this like there's a there the reason why the metal gear series is so fascinating especially the early games is like it embodies so much of what is like the 80s action movie at like it's like a pastiche like it was almost like you know how there's pastiches of the 80s action movies now like after the fact well that was he was creating that at the time during the middle of the 80s. Well, he, he stole, had, I think it was, I don't think it was, it might have been Contra, but one of these uh, Japanese video games on the cover to their game uh, basically stole Kyle Reese. That's, uh, the, that's the original Metal Gear. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's what you're talking about. It's like this yep. homage or post-pastiche. Um, and yeah, and if you look at what he's doing now, I mean, he was, and I didn't agree with this, uh, decision and it may not have been his or this is how he got funding for the, the next project at Konami but he, when he got Kiefer Sutherland to voice the, the main character Solid Snake in Metal Gear Solid 5 I think um, I, I was like what why like the, the guy you got David Hayter is fantastic uh, why the hell would you ever change that but it's like it's sort of he's courting that Hollywood thing and now he's got uh, Mads Mikkelsen on some other project, and he's another Death, you know, De- uh, Death Standing movie star, which just, came, which just came out recently. Yeah, I don't even know what it's about, but I just saw them in a photo together. Um, so that's that's I think to your your point about well, uh, the, yeah, I mean like he was well, there was the other project like before like uh, what became Death Standing. He was already like this was before his departure from Konami. He was supposed like he was given over the uh to he was given the um silent hill 
the next Silent Hill was supposed to be the next Silent Hill project. And Silent Hill is, if you guys aren't aware, like is this very storied horror movie movie, not horror movie, horror, horror game franchise that is quite beloved, and it's well known for being probably the most like the 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 series, uh, the video game series that most exemplifies true like true disturbing near Lovecraftian horror, and he. Create, he teamed up with Guillermo del Toro to create a, a a critically acclaimed demo that was supposed to become a full game, but then his departure from Konami scrapped that project entirely. That's what became basically like late, would be later evolved into Death Standing. But he was already working with, D, oh, with Guillermo del Toro as well to to do this kind of stuff. So he he's like his lifelong dream of basically transitioning to being in Hollywood has basically come true now. So I, I just did a little review on the whole Metal Gear timeline, if we even want to go through it that uh, specifically. But um, Hans, I, did you ever play this game? I played Metal Gear 4 and Metal Gear 3. Um, I was kind I was, of interested in 3 just because it had the survival aspect, but I, I, I never had anything more than the original PlayStation, so that's, like, my career with Metal Gear ended at solid. It was just, that was, three, yeah. 3's also got interesting Cold War politics in it as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember, I mean, and I'm familiar with, like, the larger world of Metal Gear. Um, from what I remember, I think you guys are asking why it's called Metal Gear. From I'm trying to remember, I think that Metal Gear... Was it was a name of a kind of weapon that Snake was sent to find? Yes, in the original yeah, game. And I don't remember why it was called Metal Gear. It's like exactly. a walking tank. That that's, yeah. Oh, but, right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, basically in the first two games, it's like it's just a walking tank. Then by Metal Gear Solid, it becomes this walking tank that can now fire nuclear weapons. And then yeah, by, which to be honest, then, that, always sounded really yeah. dumb to me. I'm like, well, just put it yeah. on an airplane or a submarine. Like I don't get why you have to put it on a really let's be honest like okay what is the mobility of a tank and then okay it can now climb hills we'll just put it on a plane i, I don't <laughs> it just it seemed really dumb but yeah it looked really cool though it's like aesthetically you just have to like concede to the fact that this is why they're doing this like this is this is it just looks really cool this machine it's, that can like step on you and it, it's just it's this a- monstrous looking thing that that's an extension of the Japanese love of giant ro- uh, giant robots, which actually that's even also in, true. The, that's also in true. their in their own media, they've actually deconstructed that as well. There's a manga called Toy of Century Boys, where they're a scientist actually like. Like there's this basically there's this cult that's taking over Japan and they want the scientist to build a giant robot for them like a Gundam and he starts explaining to them like scientifically like why this is an extremely dumb idea and among <laughs> exactly. among the reasons like the, the your your pilot is going to be constantly throwing up because of the way that the the physics of this works and so when he gets them to compromise on it's like I'll make a giant tank for you but I'm not making a giant robot for you because one it's not going to work and two like it's a stupid idea I have to buy this guy a cup of sake because I've just wondered this since I was. A kid i'm like what why why the obsession with these things like they just don't make any sense but um i just think they're aesthetic so from what i remember four in particular had probably the most apt plot for kind of what i think we want to talk about which is uh the development of private military corporations and the notion of um selling to both sides and where there was a character named drebin or yeah. Durbin, mm-hmm. or, yeah, maybe Trevin. Who, yeah, he and he worked with Snake, but he basically the whole idea was that uh, between um, sort of the, the 
the cluster of AIs that sort of work together in a system to maintain stability in the world and the United States and Drebin and and so on, you, you start to really see the, the message that Kojima is trying to put forward, which is that the patriotism of the past and the patriotism that motivated Snake uh, to actually conduct these wars and to give his all, uh, give his life towards these causes uh, has faded away. And the character himself is super, is very cynical throughout the whole thing and is really only doing it because it is really become uh, all he has in life. He has no ability to have children. He has no ability to really foster a right. family or a new life for himself. That he's, you know, he's basically made to be a soldier and has no idea how to be anything but a soldier, even though he maligns the kind of the end of the patriotic world. Uh, and that, uh, that goes back to the Cold War politics. But it also, for, there was... Um, Throughout Metal Gear, there was also this group called the Philosophers, and this yes. was like the the cabal that yeah. ran the world, right. allegedly. Right. Right. And uh, the the idea behind the, the Philosophers is also always interesting to me, and speaks to I think how uh, dare I say it, red pilled Kojima uh, <laughs> Kojima was, and this this notion of much of global politics is in fact superf superfluous and doesn't. Politics itself doesn't necessarily exist in uh, in a meaningful way behind the scenes, right. and it's more of a you know controlled set of outcomes with minor factional problems uh, that exist at the elite level. And Snake realizes, I think, you know, at some point that he is um, working on behalf of a system that doesn't actually achieve any outcomes and perpetuates war by any means, and as patriotism died as an impetus for fighting war, there were simply, you know, a dozen other impetus, uh, impeti impetuses that were created uh, to continue the, the prolongation of war. And that's, you know, the, the skimming off the top and the rise of the PMCs is what really, uh, I think a lot of people remember about Metal Gear. It really comes, well, most of the people who still talk about it are younger. So they, they grew up with Metal Gear 4 and so on. But they remember that plot point specifically. Um, and that was kind of a novelty because I believe that came out in the Bush era. I want to say yeah. that. 2008. Yeah, no. so that was right at the end of the, the W era yeah. of America when the general public was be, was made aware of um, you know, how cynical uh, the, the rationality for these wars was uh, and, and how cynical the elites are and how they seem to engineer situations for their own benefit that have no real signs of ending and uh, patriotism is is deeply deeply um, perverted by that point and really becomes sort of a brand to attach if needed to a conflict if it gains enough attention if a conflict doesn't gain enough attention you don't have to bother attaching to patriotism brand to it because at the end of the day if no one knows about it then it doesn't matter and, and it never happened. And so that's, it, sorry, Metal Gear to me, it, it's a, it became more of a of an epic later on. It started out as sort of a, just a really good action game or action franchise, but it became something much more um, personal. I think as Kojima took more time to in, invest in in the project and to, you know, l look at what was happening in the world and sort of ingrain it into his, 
into his storytelling. Um, unfortunately, I you know I have no idea how Death Stranding turned out. I don't really play games much anymore, but uh, from what I've heard, Death Stranding is tries to recapture that that sort of um, uh, political socio political commentary uh, regarding you know the, the United States in particular. I don't know if it, if some people have said it failed horribly. Some people said it's brilliant. It seems to be very divisive. Whereas Metal Gear, the Metal Gear franchise, seems to be pretty unanimously praised, uh, mm-hmm. especially in the, the latter the latter uh, entries to the franchise, as being very politically astute, very very meaningful, and uh, and worth your time, even if you're not into so much the, the gameplay, just for the story itself, because it it's well, perfectly mirrors kind of the rise of uh, privatized military corporations and, and war as a means of just advancing um, sort of elite schemes. Let, let me jump in real quick, Hans. So I, I think that's a, that's a great summary of, of kind of where the series arc ends up. And I think um, I think 4 was when I remember it being like very in your face that this is actually commenting on current events almost the other ones you could sort of say they're very uh, far-sighted and kind of what they're talking about with the internet or ai but it wasn't actually grounded in like people shooting each other on the ground and literally that game like was showing what was happening in iraq um and then uh, and i think that's the like on the timeline chronologically I think that's actually the last part of the arc of the story. Yeah, it's the, it's the, there is no other game. Uh, I mean, like there's re- uh, revengeance. I think might take place a little, but that's like a side okay. story thing for yeah. Raiden. But like cr- for for the for Solid Snake himself, because all future games after Metal Gear Solid Four have focused on big yeah. bo- have actually focused on Big Boss, the the man that right. Solid Snake is cloned from. But Solid, Metal Gear Solid 4 is the end of Solid Snake's storyline, and there is no, right. there, there have been no stories told after that. So you're yeah, but, but I also think 2 was also, um, it was incredibly long, and they were taking advantage of the new platform, PlayStation 2. Uh, so there's a lot to it, and maybe it wasn't as concise, but uh, from what I understand, critics actually praise that as the best one. And I actually have played favorite one. it. Yeah, and but what I was the last thing I'll say is if anybody's just interested in the story, and I actually did this because I like Hans. I don't really play games as much as I used to. I just don't have the time, and I don't prioritize it. But I did really enjoy the creativity and, uh, frankly, just kind of thoughtfulness of this series. And I thought there was some good elements to actually understand about the real world by just looking at the the storylines that they wrote into this series and there are available on youtube like just long cuts of the entire segment of cut sequence sequences of mm-hmm. all the series put together like back to back uh which basically starts at middle gear solid like i don't think it includes the the cutscenes from like the uh, nintendo games but uh you actually see the whole series in like nine hours uh and there's that much footage and it is like watching a movie um, so if you don't want to invest in the games, you know, the money, let alone the time, uh, you can just watch that and just have it, have it on the background while you're doing something else. And it's actually pretty entertaining and interesting. Yeah. There's, um, there's so, I don't even know which the, the prescience of the games, especially in, um, 
the four, the four, what you're talking about with the fourth one, like how not only did was it commenting on stuff that was going on, but like he was also commenting on things that were to come because one thing that I thought uh, too was really far sighted about yes, the AI it was. and the internet. I'm like, and well, the media too. I was like, Damn. yeah. Well, here's here's the brilliant thing about it. Like, and from three, not so much. Like he played with this a little bit in three, but really it's one, two, and four, yeah. the solid stake storyline. Where in the first one, he starts playing with this notion of like of reminding you that you're the player because there's two instances in the game where this really stands out. One is where you when you have to um, you have so you have the codec where you have to do the call in, and you in order to get uh, Merrill's uh, code, uh, codec, you're told at some point that it's on the back of the CD case in game, like within the context of the game. And so, like, you have to actually pull out the CD case that you had the the game in and get the codec off of that. It was not you're not going to find it anywhere within the game itself. Yeah, yeah. And then you have the character of um, um, Psychomantis. Yeah. Then we had to plug in the controller. Yeah, like you got you know because he can predict all of your movements. You had to switch the uh, the con- like the controller to another outlet, but and then he also reads your save that went back for you know for the zoomers here back before you could just save onto your console. Like you used to have like on the PlayStation, you had to have a like a memory card that you mm-hmm. could slip in to save all your games on. And he would read your memory card and see the games that were saved on there, and he'd comment on them if they were other Konami games and like comment on what you like to play. Like, oh, I thought you were going to say he, was, he would delete your saved games from other platforms or games or something i don't remember I, what it, what I it think was he, yeah. would, like they did they, they threw in like a troll of that as well and i think actually I, I believe actually if you had a pirated copy of metal gear solid they would actually do that where they would actually <laughs> they would actually delete your your save i could be mistaken on that but then okay. going into metal gear solid 2 is where you get like all the meme theory stuff as well but then this is also a yeah. deconstruction of you as the player because you're supposed to be it turns out that your character that the guy that takes over the second half of the game Raiden like he's going through a solid snake simulation and then like there's a bunch of like fourth wall breaking stuff as basically they're he's trying to explain to you like meme theory and what's going on in the digital society but then this hits its crescendo basically and then it gets into the AI stuff as well but then this hits its crescendo in Metal Gear Solid 4 because after after all the revelations that have been going on from each game, you have this idea of the philosophers, but then what happened is when the philosophers got old and died off, they didn't just they didn't find successors. They created AI to become a self-perpetuating system. So the so the war economy is not even being run anymore by actual human beings. It's being run by self-perpetuating AI. So it's a comment on how basically as these systems become much more complex, they just justify themselves for no for just no other reason than to perpetuate themselves. There's no human beings in it anymore except to be as pawns to be used in these global conflicts. But one of the one of the most striking things, one of the most far-sighted things in Metal Gear Solid 4 is so the 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 Cold War era group was called the Philosophers, but they gave way to the Patriots who were the group of AI. But in order to disguise their existence to the world, you could not, they made it so that anyone who had, was like, uh, had nanobots within them for, you know, to prove their, themselves as soldiers. Anyone who had that could not say the Patriots. They had to say the Lali Lule Lo. They, the technology got to the point where it forced you to self-censor yourself so you weren't even able to name who was actually in power anymore. Yeah, just the layers of you know surprise and uh it was so do you remember the uh sam hyde actually somewhat popularized this in some of his comedy acts but uh there would be that exclamation point when oh, yeah. they like show up over the the soldiers when they discovered or heard you or something like that or you left footprints all these little little details that i loved about this game um 
but uh, so many exclamation points at you as the player would just pop up because there would always be these reveals that, oh, you think you know it? No, you don't. Here's the actual story. And then that would be wrong. And then that would be wrong, re- revealed later in the game. And it was it was constructed so well that it was like it all seemed to fit together fairly seamlessly. And, and they would do it in different chronologies and orders too. And the the writing quality was such that if you laid it all out and you put a put all the branches of the tree and the timeline together as obviously it's a it's sort of fantastical but there there's logic to it uh bizarrely enough and it's basically just a bunch of really powerful dudes who are super power hungry that are going around governments and using military force and weaponry and technology to acquire power and the ideology is really it sort of veers between real politic and romanticism for the warrior spirit and cynicism and there's no clear winner it's just kind of like showing how those are always there when you're dealing with warfare and it's it's very messy um, but also uh, spectacular and exciting and so that's why we're playing it but it, it's very interesting how it, it goes into the psychology of all that too it's not just a a really dumb action storyline it's it's a lot of it is um about loyalty about betrayal about all these different uh characters who have vendettas against each other uh, which makes it in my opinion very realistic in some ways because when you read history or you study history you even talk about history it's very easy to look at things like it's some kind of machine that is just, oh, you know, Hitler invaded Poland, then the USSR invaded, and then this happened. And it's it all seems like it, it's foregone conclusions. But no, like there are millions and billions of decisions and actors involved in all this stuff that become a a a system that it's like it's like a uh, I'm forgetting the the term for it, but uh, it's it's when something evolves out of a very complex system an emergent system that's what I'm, that's what i was trying to say uh and it, it this series shows the depth at which those individual pieces are actually acting upon their different motivations and how they come into conflict with one another to then build up to something that's much much larger and greater and there's various factions within these these groups and it's really never as simple as team blue and team red fighting each other and whoever has more tanks is going to win no there's there's always these plots and there's there's lying and there's there's deception and there's espionage it's a brilliant series it really yeah. is deeply written and and constructed it's just it's it, really well done and there's very much a a perspective of like the japanese perspective is what rakes are very unique because you can very much see like the perspective of an of somebody coming from an uh, an yeah. honor based culture, but yeah. that was conquered. Um, Ruth Benedict has a uh, a quote from the sort of the chrysanthemum that I just happened to have on hand because I've been working on my essay on on humiliation. But in the Japanese lexicon, a person or a nation humiliates another by detraction, ridicule, contempt, belittling, and insisting on symbols of dishonor. When the Japanese believe themselves humiliated, revenge is a virtue. No matter how strongly Western ethics condemn such a tenet, the effectiveness of American occupation of Japan depends on American self-restraint on this 
on this point. For the Japanese separate ridicule, which they terribly resent from natural consequences. Japan, in one of her great victories over a major power, showed that even as a victor, she could carefully avoid humiliating a defeated enemy when it finally capitulated, capitulated and when she did not consider that that nation had sneered at her. So you see like a lot of this idea of like, the importance of being honor bound, but because this is also being coming from a, a country that was conquered, that's there's actually a theme of pessimism that runs very deeply throughout the game. And part of the Japanese perspective of it, like in the first game, uh, there's a character, Natasha, that, that's basically there to mouthpiece uh, Kojima's anti-nuclear weapon stance. Like basically her whole thing is like nukes are very, very bad. And then the character Snake goes on to form with uh, Otakon a... Uh, a group called Philanthropy, which is about basically Metal Gear and nuclear disarmament. But originally, Metal Gear Solid 4 was supposed to end with Otakon and Snake basically being uh, framed for, for crimes and executed on the spot, which is why like the song um, about Sacco and Vanzetti is used in the soundtrack of the game. If anyone's ever won- looked at the soundtrack and wondered, like, why is, you know, Here's to You, by sung by Joan Baez, like, why is the song on this on the soundtrack doesn't make uh, sense in this context it's because that was the original ending that kojima wanted but his uh development team revolted and refused to put like that have that be the end point of solid snake storyline but there is this very deep theme of honor and pessimism that runs throughout the game that i think could have only come from a country like japan yeah i think that's that's a good observation uh the the warrior history and culture of the samurai obviously is a huge part of their history and culture and uh, I hadn't thought of that. Uh, I think you're totally right. Um, the also, obviously, the symbolism and actual very real history of the atomic weapons. Okay, yes, the conspiracy theory, nukes aren't real. I don't, I don't quite <laughs> buy that one yet, although I haven't looked into it too much. But uh, assuming they are real, uh, then, yeah, they, they definitely, uh, that hangs over their, their modern history and culture a lot. And you see that in a lot of their anime and other other films about their relationship with war. Uh, so it's it's also interesting to see how they seem to have uh, idolized, or maybe not idolized, I don't know, the, the American role in the world, because the Americans obviously were the ones responsible for firebombing uh, Japan and during World War II, and subsequently occupying them, and then also uh, continuing to occupy in Okinawa and a lot of the air bases near Tokyo, uh, but also allying with them in a way during the Cold War. And then now with China being sort of the the local hegemon in Asia, uh, becoming a strategic partner in that political dimension as well. And forgetting all the economic stuff for a second, but just the the military uh, view of the Americans from the Japanese perspective. I, I was somewhat surprised to see uh, somewhat of a positive, it, it seems, respect coming from the Japanese, even though they were they, they were destroyed during the war by the Americans. Uh, so it, I think that actually gets to their culture, though, because unlike the Arabs, let's say, or Middle Easterners in general, um, if you if you beat an Asian uh, in a fair fair match, let's just say there's a part of them that will not try to blame you. They'll blame themselves. Uh, and they want to use that as a way to improve themselves and beat you in a, in a, in a match that is honorable. 
Well, uh, and that, that's a particularly Japanese thing, but I think most Asian cultures have a, a little bit of that as well. Well, and that's what the sword and chrysanthemum quote was was specifically about, because they separate like the one like as long as you do not humiliate them, they right. like, they can separate ridicule and natural consequences. Like they understand like we were beaten. Like the, right. that passage is from a longer section where it talks about the way the Japanese treated the Russians after they defeated them in the Russo-Japanese War, which. Mm-hmm. That war being such a shock to the to the European white world that and the Japanese were were in the, like at least in the case that was cited there they were very they they were good victors to the to the defeated and uh, it was um, I'm trying to remember what this I don't have the book on hand but basically the uh, the Russians had gifted the uh, the Japanese general with. Uh, I think it was um, they, they gifted them with something that when uh, when people would later go visit the home of this Japanese general, like he still had all the stuff that was given to him by the, uh, by the Russian, horse, uh, the horse. That's right. That's what it was. Yeah. Thank you. It was, uh, it was the, the losing general or admirals uh, a white stallion or whatever. Yep. Yeah, the, the, the Japanese were um, uh, graceful victors. And that was like that was the what was really like what was really struck the Europeans and why, part of the reason why. Uh, the sword and the chrysanthemum was basically written. I mean, it gave the, especially like when you have that situation of like we allowed a, uh, like an eighteen year old, like a, a young Jewish woman to basically rewrite the Japanese constitution. In spite of that, like we we were able to treat the the Japanese with a bit of dignity when we defeated them, especially after we you know destroyed their you know fire like atomic right. bombed their cities right. like by like we we left their emperor in place, which right. was a big part of that. Yeah, that that was. Um... Was that MacArthur's decision? I know he was in charge of the occupation, but I think he deserves some of the credit at least for running the occupation in somewhat of a dignified way such that uh, the Japanese didn't didn't experience what they, frankly, they anticipated, which was basically just a bunch of raping and pillaging, and they, yeah. did, they didn't see that. So in the, in the world of Metal Gear, uh, how, how large would you guys estimate that the private military complex is in terms of market value or total percentage of it, it, flu- it fluctuates if you only played the fourth one i mean that's that's not as prevalent in the other games right um it leads up to it it makes sense but it's it's basically like the uh, philosophers they're they're running there there's only a few of them and there's kind of uh, a couple of rivalries in each game usually between members of them and they will either set up, you know, Outer Heaven, which is their own little military nation or compound, or uh, well, the, the U.S. military is trying to break into that, or the Soviets are involved. But it's not just PMCs. It's it's like Cold War dynamics, superpower dynamics, uh, PMCs right. later on. Well, well, what 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 Outer Outer Heaven originally was was like that was Big Boss's like that was Big Boss's attempt to try and break away from the philosophers and the and later the Patriots by trying to because basically this is the idea behind it's laid out in the in Metal Gear Solid Three because his mentor the boss uh, the who's actually the mother of Revolver Ocelot. Uh, she was basically used by the uh, by the United States government as a patsy and. The whole thing was is basically him trying to like break away from this kind of philosopher politics by creating a haven for soldiers, so they're not used as these political pawns that can be just used and discarded. And well, like, that's why like the whole honor culture is such a big part of it. It's like basically like 
treating soldiers as more than just mere pawns that can be used and discarded at will. And then like what that ends up evolving into is the the, the Patriots end up co-opting this idea and then cap- making it into a capitalized system with the private military company thing. Like Outer Heaven becomes later on Outer Haven, but then like there's this whole plot involving Revolver Ocelot, who supposedly is <laughs> uh, inha- inhabited by the spirit of Liquid Snake, but it's really just him doing self-hypnosis, basically of him trying to... He's basically doing playing the long game of trying to play along to their plan in order to destroy them from within. The whole plot is very convoluted and very, very confusing, but the original idea behind Outer Heaven was basically a haven for soldiers, and then this got twisted around to become this private military company thing where war then becomes this capitalized commodity. Well, I am uh, I've, I don't know if you guys have read um, Corporate Warriors by P.W. Singer. It came out... Um, a while back it's somewhat outdated now but uh, it was the first sort of real authoritative general history and analysis of of uh, the rise of private military corporations and it goes into a lot of distinctions between different kinds of pmcs a lot of pmcs do various support services or training services and not what we would really call um, combat mercenaries although there are combat mercenaries like sandline and uh, one of the most infamous ones would be Executive Outcomes or um, even Blackwater from, uh, from well, Prince. And, and to show uh, Kojima is paying attention to this stuff, to your point, Hans, uh, he bases the Outer Heaven location in South Africa, which is where Executive yeah. Outcomes was coming Executive from. Outcomes. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's but, like, so my, you know, he knew more stuff about this stuff than I did until recently. I mean, it's just, and the guy's Japanese. I mean, he's not speaking English, you know, which is what most of us speak in the Western world. And it's like, got to give the guy credit and and his uh his research team as well well my the point i was going to make was that uh in, in pw singer's book although it is uh outdated um he estimates something like a hundred billion dollars worth of total value for private military corporations around the world and this was back during the bush era when he was really formulating this research um and I would i would suspect that uh, if his theories hold true about mostly this idea of of a strong state um, sort of indifference and, and um, apprehension towards getting directly involved with their regular militaries in these conflicts and weak state security problems uh, increasing around the world. Um, my, my contention is that it's probably doubled by now or it's close to doubled by now. And it, it kind of illustrates that maybe we already are living somewhat in the world that Kojima predicted, which was that we have a, a wide array of algorithmic services that are in you know, increasing use across the defense sector and across our government and our financial sector that uh, seem to make decision making into more of a finite process that uh, sort of correlates around other decisions that are made. And suddenly you realize that the majority of decisions being made are mostly inferential decisions based on sort of data analysis and these larger trends that are sort of out of general human control now. And, you know, you couple that with hundreds of billions of dollars of uh, private military spending. I think you start to see the world has actually shaped out in some ways towards what Kojima predicted, although we haven't seen some of those larger and, you know, feats in in, um, sort of bioinformatics and and just in biotics in general and in robotics 
that AI. we do see in that, in that series, and we don't have super soldiers or anything like that, but uh, and certainly don't have cloning. But you can see the trends I mean, it's, it's developing. I mean, this gen- is generally developing towards that towards that level of sort of uh, dystopia, where there are you know uh, these groups of people that sort of have a quasi fun. I don't know, re- recognized relationship with the governments of the world, but really don't care what the governments of the world want and just view governments as just another potential customer. And they indulge themselves in biotic manipulation and create super soldiers and, you know, go on these daring missions and sort of achieve their larger uh, sociopolitical goals through conflict that sometimes gets publicized and then there's this need to activate the media apparatus and uh, the propaganda apparatus to then sell the war if it's large enough. That's the big or the, the it seems like one of the oldest conspiracy theories about the role of the Rothschilds or whoever you want to lump in with them, people like the Illuminati or something like that, who typically own or control financial power in the world, international in nature, uh, because they're, they either own their own central bank in the case of the city of London, which is technically not part of London. It's its own thing. I mean, they have all these legal protections uh, in addition to uh, independent sovereignties and places in like the Bahamas where they have huge bank accounts in Switzerland and whatnot. But people like that uh, typically are accused of, being some of the biggest backers and um, kickstarters of a lot of the global wars. And I don't think it's necessarily that simple. I think there's also ethnic, religious, and political conflict involved uh, in World War One and in World War Two, especially. Uh, but those groups, those bankers, are typically thrown into like the, the mix when people are blaming why we have all these stupid wars. Uh, it's The argument is, is that you can lend to both sides and they're going to need to borrow from you because war is expensive and you're going to make a lot of money. And so if you're a banker, the best thing you can do is start war. That that's, that's a very old conspiracy theory. Um, yeah. I mean, that's like, that's how the philosophers start in the series is ba- they are they're It's not stated exactly who they are. They're just powerful people from the United States, the Soviet union and China, the Republic of China. And they uh, they formed after they formed after World War One, and uh, the thing the that what the whole thing about the secret basically the big plot twist in one of the big plot twists in Metal Gear Solid Three is basically that's what the act like what's going on what seems to be like this Cold War action what's really going on is you have these different factions that are fighting over what's called the Philosopher's Legacy which is like this hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars of cat of you know cash of cash that the I think it was a hundred billion. Yeah, it's like it's like basically uh, a very large, small fortune. Yeah, and 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 during the '60s, I mean, that was arguably a lot. Yeah. Um, So, but uh, what? What? what I wanted to say one thing though is that I and I was kind of implying some of this um, just now, but I don't think the world is just run in the context of warfare. Uh, at least in the, the sort of kinetic form. Uh, I think there's, there's spiritual, cultural, 
political warfare that doesn't actually have an economic warfare. Let's not forget that that actually occurs a lot more than than bullets these days, especially these days. I mean, a lot of it is through the media uh, and the info war to use Alex Jones's phrase uh, for your mind, uh, the, the war for your mind. And basically that is effectively how, uh, as our recent guest, Matthew Raphael Johnson puts it, it's how the American empire or the capitalist empires differ from the communist empires is that while we're by the communists ruled by force, the capitalists ruled by seduction and you don't need yep. bullets in that case. And yep. I think that's, um, that's touched upon a little bit in Metal Gear Solid two, but I mean, it's kind of a boring video game if you're like talking about uh, media espionage. I mean, it's just who cares if like, you're going into <laughs> CNN and like, you know, getting in the cardboard box and like listening to Anderson Cooper and, and taping him like uh, James O'Keefe or something. That's a boring video game. Let's just be honest. So, well, yeah. speak for yourself. <laughs> Some of us might play it, but uh, I, slight prediction. I don't think it would sell as well as, as the military versions. But uh, well, so we made this game specifically for you. <laughs> good old james o'keefe he's got his own jacket now have you seen that or he's he's got like the blazer um yeah anyway um what else do we want to talk about i mean there, there's some big meta themes also this game talk uh, touches upon I, I wanted to talk about some of the character archetypes that it seemed to be recurring sure. in all the series uh but you know i'm, I'm talking a lot Hank, i can, you, I can you also comments you guys want to and I can also, if you if you guys ever want to go into like the politics of each game, I can quickly break them down as well. But yeah, go ahead, um, Hans. Did, did you have anything? Sorry, I'm kind of blowing up everyone's spot here. Well, I was also curious if either of you, or even Hank, maybe has uh, indulged in the Deus Ex series at all, which had touches yeah, on Hank, similar Hank games. Had some stuff. I'm familiar. Yeah, with. that was a huge, huge, huge uh, occupation of mine for uh, <laughs> you know when it when it came out. I know that famous quote basically about uh, how uh, I think you guys have been were the ones that talked about it before. Basically, I think it was like it's the one from Isaac, the bartender, about basically how, you know, you you like you think you have freedom, but like everything you do, like your government's so weak, you're basically ruled by NGOs. Yeah, there's like this really long monologue in the first game where he's talking like in New York about like how. Yeah, the like first one, one is the only one that's worthwhile. One, per, no, no, I think there's the other ones are good too. But the um, in terms of just the conspiracy arc, like, you're probably right. But in terms of just the interesting gameplay, I think the other ones are interesting. Uh, but I think that's where I don't remember exactly, but it was like you know one percent of Americans, you know, own their own business, whereas you know before it was like you know seventy five percent and the central bank. He's talking about like the central banks and like all this, all this stuff like uh, libertarian talking points, and it was um, it's kind of funny to see that in a video game. Uh, you, yeah. you don't usually expect this like heavy, deep like political stuff to come out in a game like that. Yeah, I, ha I have the, the quote right here, and this is a game from 2000 here. Despite all I've read about the triads, I wasn't prepared to see them operating in the open on the streets and wearing uniforms. Doesn't the Chinese government care? The Chinese leave Hong Kong alone. They barricade the roads to control the trade of the mainland, but they know how business is done. I would think the secret smuggling operations of the triads would disturb the Chinese government. Maybe the luminous path, but China knows that the Red Arrow are business owners, entrepreneurs, community leaders, and that they protect the city from outside influences. You said outside influences. What does China fear? China is the last sovereign country in the world, authoritarian but willing, unlike UN-governed countries, to give its people the freedom to do what they want, as long as they don't break the law. Listen to me. 
this is real freedom. Freedom to own property, make a profit, make your life. The West, so afraid of strong government, now has no government, only financial power. Our governments have limited power by design. Rhetoric, and you believe it. Don't you know where those slogans come from? I give up. Well-paid researchers, how do you say it? Think tanks, fuel funded by big businesses. What is that, a think tank? Hardly as sinister as a dictator like China's premier. It's a privately fund. It's privately funded propaganda. The Trilateral Commission in the United States, for instance, the separation of powers acknowledges the petty ambitions of individuals. That's the strength. A system organized around the weakest qualities of individuals will produce these same qualities in its leaders. Perhaps certain qualities are an inseparable part of human nature. The mark of an educated man is the suppression of these qualities in favor of better ones. The same is true of civilization. Yeah, the best part about Deus Ex was the way that it just kind of threw absolutely everything in there, but there was still this kind of consistent undercurrent. Like, the notion of a conspiracy theory per se, as we've seen uh, recently with how the uh, our current government is treating them, uh, is sort of a challenge to authority. And that's really the only consistent uh, part of Deus Ex. There's not this kind of... Uh, evolutionary um approach to like kind of the the ongoing way that metal gear solid uh interacts with you know a geopolitical situation if nothing else that substantially changed over the course of the series but i think that's a that's a sort of an interesting uh contrast which of course you know it's going to be kind of a different uh treatment when you interpret the series as a whole versus just kind of a single game I remember the original Deus Ex, they even throw in something about the Trilateral Commission and the Rothschilds and the Rothschilds. Yeah, that, that's the stuff I'm talking about. It's like it's just yeah. getting into this banking it's, stuff. It's, yeah, those, are just like, those are just one-off things. and there's, oh, yeah, yeah. But they, they scatter in, um, uh, you know, if you kind of obsessively pour over all the in-game materials, that was one of the first uh, games to actually... Uh, include like voluminous uh, excerpts from I think the the entire book uh, the man who was Thursday I want to say uh, which oh. is like a, a public domain uh, spy book the copyright had expired on um, yeah, from the, the early the, 1900s the man who the man who was Thursday is a G.K. Chesterton novel basically about a a police officer who tries to infiltrate a mysterious secret society of anarchists and one by one it's revealed that all all the members of the of the because each one's named after a day of the week one by one it's revealed that all that all of them are basically police infiltrators and they're trying to like basically you know they're trying to nab one another for the most part trying to figure out who who uh, sunday is the uh uh, the one who's behind it all, basically, that's the mystery behind it. But it's, yeah, it's a G.K. Chester novel, and all of his novels are in the public domain. Well, there's yeah, I mean, like a, there's even like a throwaway quote in the original Dussex about uh, Kaczynski being right on certain topics, and I mean, it, it's it's so on the nose, and he basically took everything, threw it in there, and just wanted to see if it would stick. But they, they but, even have the twin towers missing from the New York City skyline. Yeah, I was, um, I was like wondering if I should mention that. Ninety-eight. I couldn't remember exactly if they Well, that's I knew relevant to Metal Gear Solid 2 as well. Yeah. To, they were in Manhattan. I don't remember the, the Twin Towers being involved, but because it was raining the whole time, so I couldn't see anything. Either. And it's it's sad that the the later Deus Ex games go into like really gay 
you know, like uh, analogies, literally for gay rights and all that, like, oh, we're different. We want aug rights, augmentation rights. Right. And it gets very, it tries to be woke and politically controversial like its predecessor, but it delves into very establishment style ideas of how to fight the system, man. It's like the X-Men. And it, it doesn't yeah. really go, it doesn't really go anywhere. It, you know, you'll never see another Deus Ex game again that it, it won't even use fake names to refer to things that go on in real life. It just won't use any of that at all. Like in the original Deus Ex game, I'm not kidding when I say that the word Kaczynski and the words trilateral commission and like the idea of direct population control and the word yeah. rock like show up in game and they're yeah. in, it's in it's in a real world context. Well, well, here's here's the yeah. quote right here about the uh, one that you're referring to. The entire executive branch is handpicked. 19 of the last 23 U.S. presidents have been members of the Trilateral Commission. The Trilateral Commission is financed by the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds. <laughs> Extremely woke. And yeah. like it's it's great when they also so they they blend in the things that are kind of uh, real reference um, two things that are substantially more kind of, uh, French. I mean, they, like they, they talk about Adam Weishaupt a good deal in there. It's like, okay, well, you know, I, I imagine that there are probably people who disagree, but like the notion that the Illuminati per se are like a coherent ongoing organization is a little bit iffy. Um, you know, you might talk about like a, an existing power network that at one point constituted itself along those lines and has now evolved into other things. Um, but I really doubt that there are people with like an actual fond spot specifically for Adam Weishaupt around. So it gives you a certain amount of cover when you toss in uh, things like that uh, along with these uh, these kind of uh, a lot of um, uh, not necessarily viewpoint uh, characters where you're uh, it's unclear if you're trying to trust them. It's unclear what they're all about. Um, it's unclear if they're sane or not. Uh, so you can get away with throwing out a lot of this stuff in a context where if it was just, you know, a game about fighting the Rothschilds, you, you probably couldn't. Well, I don't, a, I don't remember, but I, I think they were, I, I, I'm not sure, but the impression I got for, I, I only uh, actually played uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution. It was about the augmentation storyline that Hans was mentioning. That's uh, extremely faggy. It, it's so terrible. No, no, like, there's two know. of those, though, because the, sec- the, the one that I think you're thinking of was when they they really pushed the woke thing. I, 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 could, be, I could be, you know, misinterpreting what you're saying, but the one I did was... Um, Yes, it was talking about how, yes, these people are like mutants and they're not human and it's not fair. But I just viewed it as basically this is the threat of automation. I didn't view it as some kind of like a political statement against uh, certain political groups. It was really just about man versus machine. And I thought that was somewhat somewhat on point. But the what I was just going to say was that the production value of it was pretty high. I mean, the in terms of just the the renderings and the artistry because there's usually when you make a video game there's two big teams there's the art team then there's the programming team and then 
do, do not let the programmers design art, uh, believe me, but vice versa. I mean, the, the artists couldn't code for shit, but you, you need those two things. And there seemed to be a full budget behind it. And so what I was just going to speculate was that as the series actually kind of got some following, they... They developed it like a proper EA style video game where it's basically just going to, we're just going to churn them out, churn them out. And and then they don't want to make as many political waves as maybe they were willing to do in the first one where it may have, may have just been an independent studio. Just, I don't give a shit. I'm just going to make whatever I think because nobody's going to buy it. But, oh shit, somebody bought it. And then they sell out. And then it becomes this politically correct crap. That That's just a theory. I don't actually know any of that, but I'm just uh, hypothesizing here. And I can... From what I remember in uh, in Human Revolution, there is some there is some interesting stuff. Like there's a there's there's an interesting take on what'll happen to India, and India basically just collapses and becomes this polluted literal shithole that doesn't do anything. Becomes to to, already is man. Yeah, but it, like the prediction is that it like the. It, it takes into account uh, when it was made that India was growing due to outsourcing and all that sort of thing, but the con- it just fails to deliver, and the country totally collapses. And there's some interesting political stuff, but I think Israel gets invaded and some other things, and the United States has a, an oil crisis. But it's very, very odd. Like the It doesn't really have any real ties to the real world other than right. sort of theory crafting what will happen in the future. It's, a, it's very clear that this is an alternate timeline. This yeah. is not, they're using yeah. the, the characters of modern real world, but they're making them into different people effectively. And the, the arcs just don't really have much bearing. Unlike metal gear where you're like, Oh, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. Like there's, there's much more, I think, um, realism in the metal gear series compared to the deus ex later ones now we're not talking about the first one that hank likes but um i think that's to your point hans well there's also a unified theme in in uh deus ex and uh and certainly metal gear and i think from what i understand in the stranding uh which is that America is on the brink of collapse. Like in all of them, America has collapsed or it's it's sort of collapsing. Like it seems to be this very, you know, foreign uh, notion that, well, America seems doomed from the outside for reasons X, Y, and Z. And they all seem to be be focused on telling the story of how it happens. Right. And it's interesting that that is sort of a common unified view amongst these different franchises that uh you know america seems doomed and there there might it might be big differences in how that happens but it it is sort of irrevocably doomed for whatever reason so so konami is obviously japanese and the people who did at least the human revolution thereafter uh set of deus ex video games they're based in quebec which speak french obviously quebecois uh, speak french and the French view and the French culture is somewhat anti-Anglo and obviously by extension, it's sort of anti-American. And so I think the Japanese and the French kind of perspective is, I think much more, um, you can expect them to be more critical of the American hegemony. uh, And maybe if you combine people like that, you can get a more objective view or at least an outsider objective view of America as opposed to, 
from us where we're sort of on the inside. Although, to be honest, I think a lot of us are feeling on the outside these days. But um, I think that's where it comes from. It's it's basically just they're they're not Americans. There, you know, there's a it's kind of eerie, at least like how well like from these people are tend to be able to predict the stuff. I like like going along the lines of Deus Ex because that was a 2000 game. I mean, Metal Gear Solid 2 came out in November 2001, so obviously they've been they've been working on it. Uh, you know, for a couple of years beforehand, but the uh, the game, the climax of the game is when Arsenal, like the original plan was to have Arsenal gear basically crash into New York City. It would destroy the Statue of Liberty and a lot of uh, the vi- the financial district of Manhattan. And it's got this uh, final battle between you and the president, the former president of the United States, who's who turns out to have been like this this puppet of the. Uh, of the, uh, the the Patriots this whole time. Well, he's the and, he's. Oh no, he's triplet. fighting against the Patriots. He's fight. He's fighting. That's right. He's fighting against the Patriots. That's right. Like they. He was originally supposed to be a puppet, but he was a puppet who had rebelled against his masters. But yeah, no. But oh, the original okay. plan, like when, again, this game came came two month came out two months after nine eleven, and they they stripped footage of the uh, of the crash into New York City because of like. Right. Well, I mean, just because like, it was right. just too soon, but right. it, it, it has this really funny scene as well as like after it's all done, like New Yorkers like, in the chaos of this are just calmly walking to work. <laughs> it's just <laughs> no, there's no, no no mass panic or anything like that. But it's it that's one of the eeriest things about Metal Gear Solid 2 is they were developing this. And, like, I mean, I guess it, it would be obvious to, you know, if you're going to have like, some kind of terrorist attack, it's going to be on New York City. But it's the. I don't think Americans ever had like felt like something was coming at that time period. No, but. Not really. I mean, Lone Gunman notwithstanding, the conspiracy theory about that episode where they actually show a plane crashing into the World Trade Center. Um, I mean, nobody watched that show anyway. So yeah, like to your point. To my parents. Yeah. To my parents apparently. <laughs> I tried to watch it because I was a huge X Files guy, and it was just too much comedy. Like they, they, they should have done more i think x-files style uh we, we don't need to go into a tangent about this but it only lasted one season uh which was sort of unfortunate because it was kind of an interesting group but uh somebody on twitter by the way recently compared us to the lone gunman which was um i was very honored by that so i'll let you guys guess which of us each character is most i don't embodying. well clearly one of them's not nick mason because i don't recall there being a nazi among them no, I think I think I think one of them uh, you could you could say was Nick. Um, actually, <laughs> anyway, uh, that that's to interpretation. He, was obviously. he a drifter? <laughs> Looked like one. <laughs> uh, so okay, um, I had a couple other things I wanted to bring up. So uh, just regardless of the details, there seem to be some recurring style elements to the. The games that came out in, in each of the iterations that I thought were notable. Um, obviously, Solid Snake is you know the the masthead and the anchor, and the, that's the guy you want to play. You're the you're from his eyes. You're seeing the world as sort of a, a really highly skilled, uh, experienced, cynical soldier that everybody looks up to uh, and and calls upon whether you want to or not, and you're duty bound to perform a role. But there's all these sort of ancillary characters around him that have a very, very specific uh, flavor to them that I thought was kind of interesting. And it's, it's again, it's very Japanese-esque in a way. If you're familiar with how a lot of the anime series are constructed, there's typically, or, or the video games for that matter, there's typically a team aspect to 
most Japanese stories and each person has kind of like a go-to specialty. And in all of the games, there's um, obviously a villain that you're, you're going up against that has megalomaniacal ambitions. Uh, and there's typically some kind of super weapon and a conspiracy involved. Uh, there's also um, somewhat of a love interest in each game, it seems. Uh, the way they do that is different each time. Uh, the, f- the one that I played the first time was the solid Metal Gear Solid one, so it was obviously Meryl, the girl you're supposed to save. She's kind of the princess in the castle uh, in, in some ways. But at other times, they'll make the love interest uh, kind of a femme fatale character where uh, the girl is by no means inexperienced or a princess. She's kind of a almost your adversary and you kind of end up falling in love briefly and then she'll betray you. Uh, so they play with that dynamic a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's also, um, kind of the scientist nerd archetype engineer archetype who really has no clue about philosophy or morals, but they just love to make things and they, their ego all, is wrapped up in that. And they, they, they and yeah, go ahead. they all actually tend to be from the same family, all except for, um, yeah, Sokolov. They, they, yeah. they all tend to be from the Emmerich family. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's clear, like that's a consistent, uh, type of character. I mean, literally they're making them related to each other. Uh, and that's also another thing, like uh, somebody I was watching, um, what is that, uh, Plinkett's Review, whatever they call themselves, that group. Oh, uh, Red Letter Media. Red Letter, yeah, they were making fun of the Star Wars uh, stuff, the recent ones. Um, and actually, um, I watched one of them, and it wasn't as bad as I thought. It was it was better than the uh, George Lucas uh, prequels, which are god-awful. But um, anyway. The, uh, um, I, don't know, I don't know about that, man. I, I'm going to have to – I mean, yeah. I, I watched – I think the first 20 minutes of uh, The Last Jedi on a plane, and I fell asleep. Well, it depends on what you're... It's too long, and it it depends on what what segment of you're watching. Uh, Because they put in... It's obvious they're putting in the Chinese girl and the black guy for marketing reasons. They're completely boring otherwise, but... Um, and they got the feminists and all that stuff, but there, there's good elements to that movie, uh, that I, I, I will defend. I mean, by no means am I defending overall the politics of it, but, um, it wasn't as horrendous as I thought. So well, this brings but, up a good question. Where is the good American science fiction that is somewhat grounded in reality and has, uh, a moral center and a real story to tell and actually attempts to, deal with the prospect of future technologies seriously where is that sort of mass appeal science fiction i I guess like the closest thing americans do has been uh call of duty games i I was gonna say the born the jason born series yeah i guess born uh there's 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 a tons to choose from but uh who reads anymore yeah Yeah, well I'm, i'm wondering is i don't really read science fiction anymore because i haven't heard of any like recent science fiction being great but is there any real good uh well we did a three-hour show on the topic so i don't know yeah i mean stevenson uh 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 kind of his uh ongoing i'm trying to remember what the name of is the uh one that i actually need to read oh yeah like seven eves is actually really good that's uh, one of the best sci-fi novels that i've read in the last few years uh i've not read his uh new one um but uh there's uh there's a lot to choose from if you kind of 
you know, don't let yourself be guided by uh, awards and just kind of like try to find uh, stuff that you like in a kind of a subgenre that you enjoy. Uh, but there's there's definitely stuff out there. I think we've plugged, uh, you know, for kind of more um, a little bit more uh, future oriented stuff. Uh, the uh, the Travis Cochran uh, pair uh, causes of separation and the powers of the earth, uh, which is a pretty good uh, pretty good collection of stuff there. Yeah, th- this isn't my bag these days either. But I I was just deferring to uh, Nick and Ethnark who came on a couple months ago to talk about this very topic, and they were going on at length. And so there's plenty of um, recommendations if anybody's interested in those more recent iterations of the science fiction, speculative fiction genre in the references section of that episode. And I'll put a link to that. Uh, you know what science fiction, you know uh, what like, science fiction novel uh, Metal Gear like makes me think of now that, now that I, like, I'm thinking about it. And just in terms of the themes would actually be uh, Joe Halder, uh, Halderman, Halderman's uh, Forever War because that is a novel about basically soldiers becoming alienated from the, from the, you know, from the, from their homelands. Because like because of the way that the light speed travel works in uh, in the novel, basically these soldiers are oh, fighting in this in, in this in this forever war, and like uh, by the time like the soldier gets like the soldier gets back on one tour, like everything has gotten really gay back in back on Earth. Like everything, right. like, basically, it's a it's a planet of homosexuals now who don't even remember why they sent the soldiers off in the fir- that's first. That's because place. of relativity. I mean, yeah. uh, if you believe in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the Einstein theory that but, the faster you go, the slower uh, you experience time. Yeah. And so if you're yeah. going light speed, you effectively don't age and yeah. everybody else races ahead of you. Yeah. And Haldeman was a Vietnam War veteran. So he was writing and like he was writing it partially as a response to Heinlein's view of the military through the um, or not. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Heinlein. Yeah, Heinlein, uh, in, especially in um, Starship uh, what's, Troopers. Starship, Starship Troopers. Like I'm, I'm blinking so badly. Partially as a response to that, but also like his experience as being a Vietnam War veteran and the alienation the soldier feels, like when he goes off to fight, and then it's like, what, what was the purpose of me going off to fight in the in that first place? In fact, actually, that's the one of the most interesting things about the uh, some of the themes of the Metal Gear series about that and why it focuses so much on the soldier's perspective. Because when you go back to Metal Gear Solid Three, the original sin of it all is after World War Two, which is um, the boss, the who is the final boss of the game. Like she was a veteran of World War Two along with her compatriots. Then they were divided up because of the Cold War politics and had to fight one. Like she had like she had to fight her lover because. Uh, her lover was a Russian and had to kill him as part of her duty as a soldier. And these these soldiers are now like because of the the shifting tides of politics and because they're pawns, like the their concerns don't matter, their friendships don't matter, and also the the re, even re, the reasons why they're fighting begin to not matter and they become alienated from their lands. That was the whole purpose of creating these homelands for them in the first place for these alienated soldiers. And I think there's not a lot of unfortunately there's not a lot of science fiction that I can think of other than the Forever War that focuses on that aspect. And it's precisely because Joe Haldeman was a veteran himself. Yeah. There's I, another there, well, I want to say that there is a, a there's a good book series. It's more fantasy, although it's very kind of grounded fantasy, kind of veers and uh, Black Company. Yeah, yeah, Black Company. Uh, <laughs> That's the other one I always Black, recommend. Black Company uh, 
sort of predates it originally came out in the 80s and it predates a lot of like the very paused modern uh fantasy genre and it's entirely you know uh a, a story of men in a in a somewhat believable world uh you know sort as a mercenary group slowly traversing their way around and completing missions and having to deal with the loss of various people and and sort of their their cynicism and their disillusionment from their original homes and uh it, it is very much like uh uh, a military, a fantasized military history of like the French Foreign Legion or something like that, or the Spanish Foreign Legion, and it, I would, you know, I would recommend that if you're looking for something that's grounded and actually about, you know, mercenaries and fiction, that's probably yep. best. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, honestly, if you're curious, I, I would just read uh, the Blackwater book by Jeremy Scahill. Like, I mean, Jeremy Scale, I don't, I'm not saying he's a great guy. He's kind of shady. Uh, and he's kind of a communist, but on some level, it's a it's a good book, and it's better than a lot of fiction. It's hard to put down because it gives you a real insight into uh, a more personal story of the modern sort of PMC complex. And uh, yeah. how, how how is a man who works for a private military for profit, mind you, corporation, a communist? Oh no no he he didn't. Uh, he didn't I, personal story is not the right word. It's a more uh, intimate story. It, it focuses on real people and interviews with real people. He's not involved in the PMC world. Uh, he's a journalist. Oh, but he, oh, oh, he, okay, he okay, uh, okay. He's he, just commenting he, on them. All right. You're right. Com- he, he's, he's commenting on it, but it's a very, very in-depth book and it gives a very personal side, not a, a pleasant personal side. Uh, and it's certainly not a defense of any of these people involved, but it tries to understand uh, these people's real human relationships and how the the, 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 merc- the modern mercenary world really was built on the backs of a lot of you know former service members who knew each other and had these longstanding friendships and ties to one another and how they slowly constructed this system that is now more of a corporate system but was originally a uh, a place for like you were talking about with Outer Heaven, it, it you know, Borzoi, it, it started more as a way to employ people that were very, very adept in military service and needed something to do once they were out of active duty military service. And I then think that's was- an interesting meta level theme. The the idea that if you want to take pieces out of the game, you need to concentrate them, which then reconstitutes it as its own interest group and as a particularly potent uh, 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 target uh, to be put back into action. That's one of the reasons that it's so difficult to really accomplish anything uh, politically in terms of policy in the U.S. Because if you kind of make a mutual agreement to de-escalate, it just makes re-escalation that much more attractive the next time that there's some sort of uh, change in power or even in just in priorities. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, and this is within the, the series itself. It's that like that difficulty comes up again and again. And what, and I, 
as I said earlier, basically what ends up happening is this attempt to create exactly that, to solve that problem, ends up getting co-opted by the self-perpetuating system itself. They take the whole concept and manage to basically turn it into this um, war economy capitalist entity until they can dis- uh, like that can't they cannot stop it until they finally dismantle the ai system but by but the way they do that is they basically lobotomize it so because like at that point the ai is so infected into every global system now to to destroy that would actually cause a global catastrophe so they basically have to the plan that you come up with is basically to lobotomize the whole system so that's still running the essential elements of it but without having any without basically uh creating a war economy anymore are we talking about metal gear again i thought we were no, I, I just, yes. yeah, we sort of were, but then I, I didn't know any of it. Cause I don't read fiction, so I, I didn't know what to say when we were talking about the books. So I was just checking in to make sure I'm, I'm on the same topic as you, Borzak. Well, I have a, a more of a real-world topic that can, we can kind of uh, weave into this. And I don't know if you guys have followed this drama with Google's uh, Project Maven. I haven't. Their, uh, no, proposed what does it do? Pentagon contract. Well, they were. Well, going didn't to the company develop. walk out on that? I thought they didn't do it. <laughs> well, they walked out on it because the the engineers and various employees at Google in the thousands sort of revolted and threatened to leave and cause all kinds of problems Ooh, at the good. company. But Hillary well, likes the military. What are they well, complaining about? Well, what 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 is the like? I literally don't know anything about those. So the the basic the basic idea behind Maven was the was the creation of AI systems to. Uh, be used in conjunction with drone surveillance. At a basic level, that was the idea. Pretty logical. Sort, yeah, to sort through, basically do Facial image recognition. processing along with Target uh, recognition. Various, various other data sets to construct strategic, uh, uh, strategic contingencies. Is, yeah, which is actually something. So Google does a huge, huge amount of research. If you go to uh, any of the the major neural network conferences, Google publishes a lot, and it's always fairly good stuff on image recognition. And at this point, it's absolutely fucking crazy that that is not considered a dual-use technology subject to the same ITAR controls as if you're doing research on, I don't know, explosives or nuclear reactors or whatever. Because that's such a straightforward application that that's exactly why they got the contract, because they're really good at these algorithms and they have a compute cloud that's set up specifically to run these at very large scale. And by the way, it wasn't just employees, quote unquote, that revolted. Turns out there's a lot of foreigners uh, that work at Google and they were not super happy about developing weapons technology for the American military. Like in some situations that could have quite plausibly been illegal for them to have any tangential relationship to them. Like, if you go to another country and you are working on anything remotely military-related, that's actually a violation of U.S. export regulations. Even if you're just, like, some guy and you're designing airplanes or certain, certain nickel alloys or God only knows what, 
before you go and do that work, you're supposed to say, mother, may I, to the United States government. And there's, I'm sure, reciprocal uh, obligations by a lot of these other people. So, I mean, the whole thing was just terribly handled. And it's like they... (laughs) Now that the uh, the based Pajit uh, has taken over the whole enchilada, um, I'm sure that they will kind of uh, go into kind of Microsoft mode where it's like, guys, we're, we're here to make money. Uh, but the remnants of the same, oh, yeah, like we were the beanies on our first day. And that's where the slide used to be before we took it out for OSHA purposes, but still a super fun grad school environment. Like, there's still a lot of people who have that mentality. And there's also, after they brought in Eric Schmidt and, you know, they uh, they brought in, uh, what's his name, Cohen, who runs Jigsaw, uh, there's also a faction that's like, we're an arm of the United States State Department. And those are kind of fundamentally uh, at clash so eventually my guess is that they'll settle on the IBM solution, which is like, you know, we're we're a giant company. We make money and we do a lot of government contracting. So, so that's, what's yeah. Well, what's interesting about this, too, is that um, uh, NASA was has become deeply involved with Amazon Web Services uh, for a similar goal. Uh, NASA basically decided in uh, 2011 that they had to revamp their entire digital infrastructure, particularly their image and video library, as well as metadata collection on all images received from uh, probes and uh, extraterrestrial uh, androids that were deployed on Mars and so on. They needed a way to analyze these images with artificial intelligence. They needed a way to host all of this needed a way of uh, accessing high levels of compute power. They needed to revamp their uh, public-facing web infrastructure. And they went to Amazon, who very gladly uh, uh, supplied them with all this. And, get, you know, there there's actually a great video on YouTube, and I'll link it in the description, talks about, I think someone from NASA basically goes into how they achieve this architecture. Um, but that sort of image recognition technology and, and image metadata storage technology already exists, as we know, and it's already being used by at least one major arm of the U.S. government, which is NASA. Um, And I suspect that if NASA is doing it, uh, there is probably some level of NRO, which is the National Reconnaissance Organization, uh, involvement in that as well. Um, And that would mean satellite. They've got enough money. They don't need to to go to Jeff Bezos if they want uh, compute power. Well, not just, well, maybe, but it's more of the hosting and so on and, and and, and so on and so forth. But my suspicion is that uh, satellite imagery is also probably being processed at some level. And uh, it, it's interesting how Amazon very quietly achieved that. I think because NASA has a better public image than maybe the U.S. military, uh, specifically the U.S. military's drone program. But it is interesting to see, uh, you know, in Metal Gear, we, we started to, you know, realize this ver- this we- uh, world of uh AI being used as a means of command and control operations for various purposes. And that was the obvious road that was going to you know, be traversed with Project Maven. It was very obviously going to head down that road, maybe five, 10 years time of more than just 
image recognition and pattern analysis that would eventually, you know, evolve into automated targeting systems and contingency manipulation and things like that. And that's when, you know, you really have uh, the realized world of Metal Gear and it's brought to you by your friends at Google. Yeah, that's, uh, we're moving to a world that, uh, it's a very scary one. I don't really have anything insightful to add to that. It's just, uh, it, it really, it it really makes the skepticism like because that's if I if I if if I had to guess one if I had to like say the themes of Metal Gear and like I guess in one word it's skepticism that runs throughout the entire series skepticism towards like skepticism towards technology skepticism towards uh, American hegemony skepticism towards the world we're creating skepticism towards weapons skepticism towards the things we supposedly think we're fighting for because the games often wrap up with with kind of like a theme uh, in the first game there's the it wraps up this theme of basically um, that we're not we're not constrained by our genes like we have the you know we have to choose to choose to live and we have to like we have to choose our own lives and choose our own destinies and the second game which actually i think has a, a very poignant theme is because like that one's about memes is that what's important is uh that we are passing down these these stories these ideas these cultures and like and that are the i believe the exact quote that snake says at the end of is like that we need to let our our sons and daughters read our messy history by its light but uh, the 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 skepticism that runs through the series, I think, is what makes it such a fascinating series overall, because it covers all these different politics. Uh, like the first game covers politics of nuclear weapons, um, what happened to what happened in the Gulf War with like with the um, the various kind of uh, it was like what was a Gulf War syndrome. Like there was like the like, there was basically because like it focuses on this yeah. rise in genetic engineering and these and sicknesses and. Um, we were like, there's a there's a theme of like the skepticism of the '90s that comes up in that game, and the themes are in there are within that within Metal Gear Solid 2. The idea of the rise of child soldiers comes up. In fact, you have the character of Raiden, who was a former child soldier, um, and the trauma and PTSD that comes from that that dri- like that ends up driving him his inability to deal with all that. You have the uh, obviously the themes of basically memes and. Uh, that United States government is basically secretly controlled by forces that are much older than people realize. And it's being given over to a technocracy an AI technocracy with Metal Gear Solid three. You have the themes of cold war politics, the way it arbitrarily divides the world when in fact, it's basically all the same people that are in control of it. Uh, you have within Metal Gear Solid four, like the combination of all of these themes as well as where we're going in terms of everything becoming this, uh, mechanized war economy and then finally with Metal Gear Solid 5 you have these themes of basically kind of a re- like looking at because it, it takes it's a prequel game so it's another prequel game so it's examining this idea of American hegemony and what that ultimately means with the future that it's building and the results that we're living in now especially with uh, the the child soldier themes come up in that as well it's like I said, skepticism about all these things runs through these games very deeply, and that's why I think they're a very fascinating thing. If people have never played them before, definitely check out the uh, the YouTube videos on them. Um, in fact, actually, that's how I know the story as well as I do. Is like I used to I used to obsessively like watch these videos because it was I was I was amazed by the themes that were embedded in them. Well, I think I think the word skepticism is I think a good way to summarize it because as the game reveals itself to the player. 
if not the YouTube watcher of the cutscenes, uh, you get to see how multi-layered the reality is from what's on the surface. And to just believe uh, what you're seeing in the moment uh, as the entire story is, um, is I think, wrong. And, and that's what the, the, I think yeah. the game is, is really trying to underscore. Uh, you can get into the nuances of what they're specifically talking about, but overall, it's basically describing a world that is incredibly, on one hand, messy on, on the ground level, but at a high level, it's somewhat orchestrated. So it's, it's very conspiratorial-minded uh, in that way, in that they, they do see the groups that do have the majority of the power not shifting that much. And their motives are as old as human history. Yeah. It's just power and greed and and all that. Um, they, they don't, uh, but it, it is it is very much a a political uh, power. It's not so much about getting you know Epstein Island babes or well, they're not really babes. I mean, let's just be honest. It's it's pedophilia, and that's even. I mean, I don't even think Metal Gear would touch on that subject. Is disgusting well, I mean, it is, but they i mean they begin to child soldiers so they're not yeah, afraid but to get, it's like, not the same there's some uh, well there's some weird stuff that ends up like i mean like they get really graphic especially in the um in ground zero it's not like on sex trafficking level they don't quite go that into that point but you have a, there's a scene where they basically have to um one of the characters from another game from originally from peace walker pause uh name meaning peace she um she's she's got a, a bomb embedded inside of her uh, inside of her womb and they or yeah they, there's a bomb inside of her and they basically have to they they have to go in without anesthetic to basically get the bomb out of her womb it does not really work it does not work out for them but it's like this idea of like base like well ideas uh, themes of sexual abuse do actually come up in these games like yeah. there there are a number of characters that are deeply touched by. Uh, by sexual abuse now it doesn't get into like an Epstein thing but like right. these these themes do permeate well, as well they, like, they kind of explain it in a way where you would might see in a 1950s Hollywood movie or something or 40s movie where they would basically tiptoe around what they're getting at and it's up to the audience and the adults in the room to explain it to the kids when they're old enough to hear that sort of discussion uh, but they don't explicitly show it which um I actually like that. I mean, because I think at this point we've we've all seen more than we need to, and it's nice to have uh, very disgusting subjects uh, put in a way that is more digestible, so that you just don't turn away. Um, now, I don't know if that's their. I don't know if they're trying to like uh, preach. I don't think that's really the intention of the game, but uh, to get across the. The heavy themes, I think they do it in a way that is somewhat uh, palatable and, and you could maybe say respectful. I'm not really sure if that's the real intention. I mean, you do have to remember it as a business and they're trying to be marketable as well. And so they don't want to be written up in a headline about, you know, Metal Gear gets really lewd or something. Although there are some, uh, they, some pretty I mean, uh, amusing they have aspects got to it. But. They have gotten like I mean from the woke sound. Uh, oh, who cares? I, mean, I know, but like, I mean, like, Anita they, Sarkeesian they, or whatever is going to complain about anything. But come right up to the line is really what I'm just trying to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, right I agree. I I agree. Um, so yeah, it's a brilliant series. I I don't I don't quite know how to sum it and, better than what you just said, but well, I I can 
if people are, I mean, I can't, well, I'm, who knows? People like to listen to things. Like if you, if you still haven't like have no exposure to this, uh, if you're, if you need something to sell you on like the intellectual content of it, just search for the JFK codec on YouTube. That's, uh, it might be a two part video, but that, that the codec referring to the, the, um, that's the uh, little radio thing that he right. that uses. But the JFK codec is basically the codec in Metal Gear Solid 2 that explains exactly what's going on. You discover what the Patriots are, that they're uh, that they're this AI system that is really controlling everything. But they also explain what why they're doing it. And this is where you get some of the most brilliant explanation of basically of, of how information control works, because they talk about that their job is to, like, they believe that what they're doing is creating context for people that they're controlling narratives and controlling the way that people understand the world because human beings can't be trusted to understand it or to contextualize it themselves. And this is like, this, this is where I see the brilliance of the series because that's why Kojima is asking you as the player to question yourself as the player as well, because he's basically trying to show you. He's like, I'm in control of what you're seeing. Can you even believe what I'm telling you? Like, how can you like you're you're taking me at my word? Should you be doing that? And then he's having these AI tell them like, that's what we're like. We are controlling the way that you think through the mediums that you you know like through various mediums, and we're trying to create a context for you but ultimately they're the ones in charge of it and i think that really drives home like that theme of skepticism in the game because it's uh the, the main character of that point raiden is completely shocked and and agitated at uh at what's going on he thinks he's going to like rebel against that and then they even question like is that something you're at like that you actually feel or is that something we're making you feel kind of thing you know? it's hard to sum it up it's a very complex storyline and uh I, I don't know what more we could add honestly well i I can, I can. If you're looking for an ending, I can end it on here. Just remember what, and just remember what Snake says at the beginning of Metal Gear Solid Four: War has changed. The Hudson River. Two years ago. We had classified intelligence that a new type of Metal Gear was scheduled for transport. The whole thing stank, but our noses had been out in the cold too long. Say a prayer for me, Rose, so I can come back. You will make it back. I'm with you all the way, remember. Can I ask you something? Are you THE Snake? So what exactly are they demanding? A person's remains. The man they called the greatest warrior of the 20th century. You don't mean Big Boss. Snake. Meryl. Is that you? So tell me, Snake. Is there anyone you like? I've never been interested in anyone else's life. Oh my god. So you are all alone. Your body is approaching its limit. How long do I have? Half a year. Any family? No. No, wait. There was a man who said he was my father. Where is he? Dead. By my own hand. What's the story between you and the boss? Do you love her? 
No, nothing like that. Do you hate her? Does it have to be one or the other? Love or hate? Between a man and a woman? You bet. Boss, why are you doing this? Why? To make the world one again. The foibles of politics can turn friends into enemies just as easily as the wind changes. Yesterday's ally becomes today's opposition. We're twins linked by cursed genes. The only reason I exist is so they could create you. We're ready to strike back. Just give us that chance, boss. Cause I'm already a demon. I know all about the things you did when you were young. You're still a legend, a hero. I'm no hero. Never was. Never will be. Now. The meaning of justice can change from one day to the next. It's me. I'm here to get you out. Politics are fickle. They change with the times. So long as we remain loyal to our countries, soldiers like us need nothing to believe in. Why do you fight what is a country, a soldier, and the lost sight of his things? I've been waiting, Snake, for a long time. Waiting for your birth, your growth, and the finality of today. We have a responsibility to the coming generations, to the world, to keep track of the mistakes we've made as a species. It's beautiful. I look back on what I've done here so far, and things like training and sense of duty alone won't get you through a mission like this. You need something higher. It has to be pure will. Come back to all this. Why keep fighting? To spread the word, to fight for change. That's what keeps me alive. Looks like we're not gonna have a love scene after all. Everything you were and stick with you to the end.